And uh, we say in general, who drinks wine from real glasses drinks the better wine because our glasses are developed with the knowledge of the winemakers. We bring them together and uh, we uh, work with them when developing a new shape for a grape variety which we have not covered so far. Today's show is focused on a simple question. How important is your wine glass? To get educated, I had the pleasure to interview Maximilian Riedel. He's the 11th generation CEO of the most influential wine glass company in the world. That's Riedel Crystal of Kufstein, Austria. I hope you enjoy the show. From Eat Drink Fun, this is the Eat Drink Fun podcast. I'm Chris Miller. How important is your wine glass? Well, to me personally, the glass can matter a lot. Drinking wine should be a pleasant experience. And if a glass can enhance my personal enjoyment of any beverage, whether it's wine, beer, scotch, whatever, that's a good thing. But another reason is science. People have created glasses that enhance the flavors of whatever it is you're drinking. And so there I was at Provine in Dusseldorf in 2019 when I passed the Riedel exhibit. I asked to speak to somebody, and to their credit, they produced the CEO, Maximilian Riedel. Our conversation was brief, but educational, and afterwards he gave me a little personal wine tasting. Now, as a company, Riedel created the market for varietal-specific wine glasses. When I say varietal-specific, that means that the glass was designed with a deep understanding of the unique aromas and flavors of each grape variety, and how you enhance those with every sip. Oscar Wilde said that, Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery that mediocrity can pay to greatness. Well then, Riedel should probably feel very flattered because they've been copied by everybody, and they continue to be trailblazers. So the family history dates back to the late 1600s in Pavlovice, Bohemia. Now as a reminder, Bohemia constitutes the western part of Czechia. That's the former Czech Republic. Google it, they changed their name a few years ago. And it borders Austria, Germany, and Poland. Anyway, Bohemia as a region is known globally as a source of fine crystal, and it's been that way since the 18th century. During that time, the Riedels continued to evolve their business. They made things like window panes, hollow glass, colored glass, costume jewelry, perfume bottles, chandeliers, lamps. But the modern business that makes fine wine glasses only evolved after the Second World War. During the war, Riedel's factories were commandeered by the Nazi regime. And in fact, upon discovering a glass picture tube used for air defense radar equipment, the Soviets forced Walter Riedel to sign a contract and held him in Moscow for a decade. Meanwhile, the Czechoslovakian state confiscated Riedel's factories. In 1955, Walter Riedel finally was released and he ended up in Austria. Now with help from the Swarovski family, Walter and his son Klaus Josef got a fresh start in Kufstein, and they focused on mouth-blown products. Over the next decades, Klaus Josef proceeded to revolutionize wine glasses. In short, we can thank him for what we take for granted today. That is, that wine glasses should be clear, uncolored, unadorned, thin-blown, and with a long stem. Moreover, Klaus Riedel advanced the science that recognized the effect of shapes and how we perceive beverages generally, whether it's wine, spirits, or beer. And with that introduction, I'd like to turn to my interview with the CEO and President of Riedel Crystal. My name is Maximilian Riedel. I'm the 11th generation of the Riedel family. I'm in charge of the worldwide business. 
And uh, we're here at ProWine at the Riedel booth, which is located between all the beautiful wine producers from Austria. And uh, ProWine is now in its 25th year, and I think we have been loyal to ProWine for most of that time. So my first question was about the evolution of their business and some of the key historical moments over time. So I would say that the evolution occurred in my business thanks to the wine business. My glasses without wine are simply catching dust, and that's not the purpose. So when I moved to the United States in the year 2000, wine and wine boom just started to pick up in the U.S., uh, just a few years later, we, ha- we, he- we heard that the biggest uh, companies in the world started to invest in wine. So wine is a love affair for my family, and that's the reason why we got into the wine glass business. So we are producing glass and everything in glass in the 11th generation. We started our business in 1756. Uh, and, uh, and, of course... My company, my family has gone through various uh, evolutions because there were different needs for glass, window glass being one of them. But uh, since my grandfather fell in love with wine, Professor Klaus Riedel, his first customer in the United States was Tiffany's and Company. I was, because of that, the first internship at Tiffany's (laughs) at the age of 18. So there is a lot of beautiful stories to be told. But fact is that uh, he was the one who was uh, the father of the modern wine glass. And uh, his first creation is in the Museum of Modern Art in New York on permanent exhibition since uh, 1960, uh, the most beautiful wine glass. And the New York Times called it then the fishbowl because the bowl, the size of the glass was so massive versus what was used in the U.S. for wine glasses that people charmingly call it the fishbowl. Nowadays, all the wine glasses produced by us and by everybody else have the same or similar sizes and because big wines need big glasses. Next, I asked him to go a little bit deeper on how Riedel got its foot in the door in the U.S. market. So, first of all, our history to the U.S. is very much connected with the wine world. It was actually Mr. Robert Mondavi himself uh, who gave the first impression of Napa Valley to my father, George Riedel. And uh, Robert Mondavi uh, heard about the Riedel philosophy, being glasses for grape varietal specific. And he was actually the first uh, winemaker to adopt our glasses in California. And he opened the gate for us uh, to the U.S. And uh, now the U.S. market uh, is not only one of the largest wine consumption, consuming markets and production market, but also has become the number one market for Riedel glasses. And uh, we say in general, who drinks wine from Riedel glasses drinks the better wine because our glasses are developed with the knowledge of the winemakers. We bring them together and uh, we uh, work with them when developing a new shape for a grape variety, which we have not covered so far. Perhaps a stupid question, but I figured I would take the opportunity to ask the person in charge of the company that invented varietal-specific glasses what his opinions are of the universal glass. Now, universal glass is targeting a part of the market that wants a very high-quality glass, but one that they can drink with lots of different kinds of wine. Anyway, this is the answer that I got. So we have to be honest and say that universal glasses don't exist. It's like the game of golf, where you cannot play uh, your holes with one club. It's like uh, your closet for shoes. There is not a single pair that you can wear everywhere at any time to any kind of occasion. The same is with your wine glasses. So um, your wife has her favorite glass, which is our New World Pinot Noir glass, which was developed with the winemakers from Oregon. 
and uh, it was developed about uh, 15 years ago and it is a glass which I would also recommend for rosé champagne which is dominated by red fruit. But otherwise, uh, Riedel doesn't really have a universal glass because it goes against our philosophy. Uh, wine is such a wonderful environment, a wonderful world. It goes with food, but it can be consumed on its own. And why miss out by just uh, not spending money on the perfect glass? Well, and if you think about many others who have thought that uh, making life simple and using one glass for all the wines, I think it takes the charm out of the wine industry. Every country nowadays, even every state in the United States produces wine. I'm not sure if all your listeners know that. And, uh, and so why miss out on, on the greatness in wine by just pouring everything into the same glass? It's not fun and it doesn't work. Now, just because Riedel is philosophically opposed to creating a universal glass doesn't mean that it's not keeping up with trends or setting trends. In fact, Maximilian Riedel created the O-Series, and he told me a little bit about that. And uh, the stemless glass is uh, a creation of mine. I've lived for 15 years in Manhattan, in New York, and I struggled because I didn't have the kitchen cabinet space to store my glasses. That's unbelievable. In New York? In New York, and I was in Tribeca. And so I, I had this... Uh, vision I had this idea why not just take the stems off my glasses and so I could stack glasses in my cabinet and uh, there's also less breakage because I broke the glasses for my friends <laughs> and uh, yeah it has become a huge trend uh, and how can I see it's a trend not only by sales or on social media by people using it because the competition started to copy it and right. that's always a, a reference if you're successful you're being copied. Well, hey, thank you very much for, for taking your time today. It's very generous. I appreciate it very much. I wish you continued success and a great time here at Provine. Appreciate it. Thank you for having us on the show and uh, looking forward to seeing you in the U.S. Thank you. you. As I mentioned before, immediately after our chat, Maximilian offered me a tasting, and obviously I could not refuse. But before I get there, I want to explain a little bit about wine glass anatomy. And this is interesting to me not only for study purposes, but it might help me explain a little more clearly what these glasses look like. Of course, if I fail to do that, you can still look up the illustration in the show notes. I'll have a link there. Now, starting at the top of the glass and moving to the bottom, the glass has two basic parts, the bowl and the foot. Now, another word for the bowl is a calyx, but honestly, I've never heard anyone else ever use this term. However, I have heard the word goblet or balloon. I'll just stick with bowl. So at the top of the bowl, you have the rim. That's pretty obvious. Moving down from there, you have the chimney. This is the part of the bowl that tapers and narrows as it approaches the rim, and that shape helps trap the aromas inside the glass. The shoulder is the widest part of the glass. It's usually the high point to which you'd fill a glass of wine, depending, of course, on the type of glass and the type of wine. Here, the liquid is making contact with the air and releasing aroma compounds. Now, the peraison another word that I've never heard but just learned, is the lower part of the bowl below the shoulder that holds the liquid. It can be curved, rounded, angled, straight, depending on the type of glass. The button is where the bowl connects to the foot, and the foot is made up of the stem and the base. I don't have to define those things. So back to the tasting. There you are. Imagine you have three beautiful glasses sitting in front of you and you have the CEO of one of the largest wine glass makers in the world. No pressure, right? Actually, he was very, very kind and uh, guided me through the process expertly. So from left to right, glass one is a new world Pinot Noir glass. The bowl is very large. It expands out broadly from the button and has the widest shoulder of all three glasses. 
It then curves back in the chimney, but before you get to the rim, it curves back out again. So it forms this long S shape from the button all the way to the rim. Glass two is a Syrah glass. It's the narrowest of the three glasses, but it has this even balanced curve from button to rim. Glass three is a Bordeaux glass. It's definitely wider than the Syrah glass at the shoulder, but it has also a larger diameter and opening at the rim, but not quite as big as that Pinot Noir glass. So, does the curved rim at the top of the Pinot Noir glass actually make a difference? I think it does. So the wine tasted the same in each glass, no difference there, but the shapes of the glasses impacted the strength of the aromas and some of the elements of the flavors were more pronounced in certain glasses. For example, the Syrah glass really focused the aromas. And that has to do, I think, with the narrowness of the glass. Consider how a whiskey-nosing glass or a schnapps glass has a really sort of thin chimney. It's usually they're smaller glasses, and those are intended to really focus the aromas of the spirit. So a broader-shouldered bowl allows greater contact with oxygen, which lets the wine evolve a little bit more. You get more complexity, more depth of the aromas. Second, that outward curve at the top of the Pinot Noir glass forced me to physically tilt my head back extra, just a little bit extra. And that kind of matters physiologically. So you can try to do this. It may not work for you, but it works for me. Tilt your head backwards and my tongue moves back slightly in my mouth. And if my mouth is open, like I'm gonna drink something, my tongue actually kind of raises up off the floor of my mouth and curls a little bit. Now the result is when you're pouring wine into your mouth, the wine will go directly to the tip of your tongue. So the first thing you perceive is red fruit in a Pinot Noir, not acidity, which is important. Um, Pinot Noir, great Pinot Noir has fresh acidity, but especially in younger and simpler wines, the acidity can initially really dominate. So if you want to experience that acidity, but you want to really appreciate the red fruit component to have that shine first, this glass makes it happen for you. Sure, you could consciously tilt your head back and lift your tongue and do all that stuff with a normal glass, but the beauty of this glass is you just do it unconsciously. Uh, it just happens. No doubt there's great marketing involved, but honestly, they've done their homework and others would not be copying the shape if it didn't work. So in the last few minutes, what are some key takeaways or lessons learned that I can leave you with? First, if you're in the market for new wine glasses, what do you need to look for? For me, the most important thing is a very thin rim, as thin as possible. You don't want any pronounced lip. You want as few obstacles as possible between the wine and your tongue. You don't want to be chewing the glass. The bowl should be the appropriate shape. And on that note, if you're looking for sparkling wine glasses, I always prefer a tulip to a flute. The tulip has the benefit of the flute in that it's got an elongated bowl that regulates the bubbles evenly, but it has a chimney that tapers inward towards the rim and that helps trap some of the nice aromas in the glass. The old champagne coupe, it looks really cool, but you better drink your champagne fast because the bubbles fade very quickly. Clear and unfluted glasses are preferred. Etched and fluted glasses, they may look nice, but you really can't appreciate how well your wine sparkles or how it reacts to light if the light is constantly being refracted in a bunch of stray directions. Also, if you can get mouth-blown glasses, that's preferred. They produce a more consistent, even surface that allows light to pass through undisturbed. If you get a machine spun glass and you hold it up to the light, you may see waves or wrinkles in it. And depending on the quality, you may also see seams or joints that haven't been sanded away. Second, 
what's the right way to hold and drink from your wine glass? So I always try to hold the glass by the stem. This has a couple benefits. First of all, you keep the glass, the bowl, free from fingerprints. You don't want to be at a party, stuck there for a while, unable to change your glass, and you've got smudge marks all over the bowl. And also, it's hard to appreciate what your wine looks like when you've got this cloudy glass in your hand. Second, it avoids warming up your drink. So if you've got white wine, you probably don't want to hold it by the bowl. It's also easier to aerate or swirl your wine when you hold it by the stem. Of course, aerating your wine by swirling it in the glass has a function. It coats the inside of the glass, it releases even more aroma compounds, and you get a fuller bouquet. Third, how much wine goes in your glass? Unless you're at a country club where the pours should be more generous, the general rule is that you fill the wine up to, but not exceeding the shoulder. A standard pour is 150 to 180 milliliters, or five to six ounces. If you have an older, more delicate wine, you usually want to put less in your glass and let it breathe and evolve and mature in small batches in the glass. Finally, what about crystal glasses? Are they better? So in doing a little research on this, what I basically learned is that today's highest quality glasses are labeled crystal glass, but they no longer contain lead. Lead glass contains 18 to 40% of lead oxide by weight. In fact, European Union rules provide that the name, quote, lead crystal can only be used if it has at least 24% lead oxide. So why was leaded glass so popular? Well, reason one is optical. Lead oxide results in a product with a high refractive index. That means the lead creates more dispersed light like a prism. It sparkles. Lead oxide also makes it easier to eliminate imperfections, creating more clear, flawless products. Reason two is that lead crystal is easier to cut. Lead oxide enables the glass to be worked at a lower temperature. So the more lead content, the softer the glass. Reason three is that lead crystal is heavy. It just feels more expensive. Lead is used a lot less frequently today because we know that lead leaching out of the glass is very bad for human beings. As a heavy metal, it causes a myriad of health problems. So today, high quality producers market their glasses as quote, crystal glass. Basically, they use substitutes that include barium oxide, zinc oxide, or potassium oxide. These glasses have a similar light refractive property but with a little bit less light dispersive power. You don't see as many colors. The glass weight is less, but trust me, they're just as beautiful. And best of all, they won't kill you. So that about does it for this episode on wine glasses. But before I go, I want to share with you some audio that I recorded in a little bit of an experiment. I clinked together relatively inexpensive wine glasses very good quality wine glasses, and very high quality wine glasses, just to hear the difference between them. The first sound is of two normal wine glasses that I bought at a grocery store in France for about five euro. These are not crystal glasses, just normal glasses. The second recording is a very good quality crystal glass made by Riedel. These glasses are meant to hold Bordeaux varietals, so we're talking Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, and Cabernet Franc. They cost about 20 euro per glass. The third and final recording is from two exceptional quality lead crystal Bordeaux glasses made by the French crystal manufacturer Baccarat. Now these glasses are about 40 years old, 
And if you bought them today, I looked online, they're about 160 euro per glass. So that does it for today's show. In my humble opinion, a nice glass can enhance your drinking experience. And that's not only true for wine, it's the same for spirits, cocktails, beer, or anything else you drink. I hope you learned something today. It was fun to do this research. I want to express thanks again to Maximilian Riedel and to Riedel Crystal. Please check out the show notes at eatdrinkfun.com. Leave me some feedback if there's something you'd like to hear about in future shows. Also, if you have time, please consider leaving me a review. I'd greatly appreciate it. The intro music today was a song called Pluck It by Dan Hennig. Background song was Nimbus by Eveningland. And this outro tune is Write You by Joey Pecoraro. Until next time, please stay healthy and eat well, drink better, and have more fun. <laughs>